Welcome to the Self-Made Theory, the podcast that's all about innovating, overcoming and prospering. We interview founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, CEOs and other exciting people about their amazing business journey. Over to your host, Ben Campbell, for this week's episode. Welcome back to The Self-Made Theory. Ever wanted to completely change your career direction? Or maybe you have a hobby which you would love to turn into an actual business. Well, that's what happened to Richard Cooper, who founded the artisan knife-making business Dog Boy Knives. What he produces has to be seen to be believed. I've got some photos on my website for you. These amazing chef and other knives are handcrafted into practical works of art with some made of 80 layers of Damascus steel, which was used in sword making centuries ago. They're used by chefs around the world. You might even find a few in a Michelin starred restaurant kitchen. Richard and I talk about how he left a good paying job to start his passion business and something that really resonates with my own story. He also talks about the importance of mentors and his pursuit of quality means that the product that you made two years ago isn't likely to be something that you're happy with today. And we also talk about how family and friends are often the first customers of any new startup. My name is Ben Campbell and this is The Self-Made Theory. Richard, welcome to The Self-Made Theory. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, mate. Really interested to unpack your story. We're here in your home, actually, mm-hmm. where they, you can hear the birds outside. Yep. It's a winter's day. It was pouring with rain. We've got a potbelly fire. It's actually really lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have an afternoon out of the shed. I don't think I've done a recording yet where there's been a potbelly stove or fire, you know, only two metres away from me. No. Well, it's, it's that kind of day and, um, yeah, it's nice. It's a nice comforting heat. Yeah. So we're here to talk about dog boy knives. So how about we start with your elevator pitch? Yeah, well, Dog Boy Knives is basically me. It's uh, it's me making handmade chef's knives and cheese knives out of recycled materials mainly. And I've seen them. They're pretty cool. We've got yeah. some here that we might take some photos of and pop on the website later for people to look at. Cool, yeah. Okay, so I've got to start with the name. Where did Dog Boy Knives come from? Dog Boy is an old nickname. I lived in a share house in the 90s and I had a dog that I went everywhere with and I was a veterinarian, and my housemates called me Dog Boy, and it sort of stuck. <laughs> and now you've got a business that's called Dog Boy Knives. Yeah, some people read it as Dodgy Knives. Don't know if that's uh, <laughs> if that's so, but well, um, they definitely don't look dodgy. That's for sure. No, no, that's good. Thank you. All right, so you had a career as a vet. Yep. How did you transition from being a vet to being a artisan knife maker? That's a good question. It. I guess I've always enjoyed making things and working with timber primarily. I've always enjoyed cooking. I was on Kangaroo Island helping my brother-in-law do some carpentry work down there and someone that I'd met down there who knew I was interested in food, who knew I was interested in making stuff, showed me a knife that she'd made with Barry Gardner, um, who's up at Sepplesfield in the Barossa. Right. And, you know, it's a beautiful knife and... She then showed me some of the knife makers that she'd seen on Instagram. Okay. And something just clicked. I just thought, well, I'd always wanted to make a knife. I 
always looked online at how to do it and there was always macho hunting knives, which is not me. Yeah. Um, so suddenly this whole world of bespoke, handmade, beautiful chef's knives opened up to me and... I decided to experiment to see if I could make one. Wow. So where did, how did you start? How do you start with the knife making process? Research. Yep. Lots of looking at stuff online, how to build a forge, how to make a knife, what tools do I need, what I've already got. Imagine having to do that before YouTube. I know. <laughs> Could you? Well, I had books. <laughs> but you have to go to the library. And a, yeah. You know. Yeah. No, I mean, it, yeah, YouTube's and the internet, it can be a real trap, but it can be a great learning tool. And yes, I've got a lot of information from there. You know, the first thing I did was build a forge. So um, made a really basic one out of an old Weber barbecue. Okay. So for those that don't understand what a forge is. Forge is a way of heating metal to high temperatures. Yep. Yeah. And, and so why is a forge different to the average? you know, pot belly stove or a, um, know, a backyard barbecue? Uh, well, it gets to about 1,200, 1,300 degrees. So that's pretty hot. I don't know if your pot belly could get that warm. Haven't tried it. But you need to get steel to that temperature to be able to you know, hit it with a hammer and get it to move, yeah. basically. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was the first step. Made some pretty crude knives with some pretty crude tools. Okay. And so how, what spurred you want to go from pretty crude knives and pretty crude tools up to being able to ship them around the world? Oh, it was just an organic growth, really. You know, it started as an experiment to see if I could make one for me. Yeah. And then people saw them and they liked them and they said, can you make me one? And and who's that, friends and family? Friends and family, yeah. yeah. And I think that's, you know, a lot of small businesses, especially artisans, start that way. You Absolutely. know, you start giving away stuff and then you start selling to friends and family. And then I tried my luck with a few retail outlets and sold a few and bought better tools and I, it was something I enjoyed doing and I never thought I could make a business out of it and it just kept growing and people kept buying them and I just kept wanting to get better. Still am, you know, it's still my primary, you know, my aim with every knife is to make it better than the last one. Yeah, it's a good aim. Well. Quality is a good business plan. It's a great business plan and, and the day you stop learning is the day it gets boring. I look at the knives I was making two years ago and they wouldn't make it out of the shed now. Yeah. And I'm really excited about what I'll be making in two years' time. So hopefully they'll be even better. And so your business has grown purely through word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of luck, bit of skill, a lot of hard work. So talk about the luck. Where did the luck come from? Uh, I was lucky enough to get noticed by some people early on that, I guess, helped get a greater exposure. Yeah. So the director of Tasting Australia was a friend of a friend and he purchased one to give as a gift to Simon Bryant, who was the creative director. A, and he's quite a famous chef. Yeah. Yep. So through that, Joxon Frillo was also involved in Tasting Australia. Okay. So he approached me to buy knives for his restaurant. And he, the next year, Tasting Australia, and every year since, Tasting Australia has commissioned me to make knives to give to the, you know, the chefs that come to... Wow. You know, yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's things like that have just been brilliant in terms of building the business, building my confidence, getting the brand out there to, you know, people that wouldn't otherwise ever see my knives. Yeah, absolutely. It's really true influence marketing and people will pay a lot of money for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and as you pointed out, it happened to you organically, well, yeah, which is wonderful. But, so you're not just selling them here in Australia, you've got 
You're selling them um, internationally as well? I sell a few internationally, yep. yeah. So there's some in a Michelin-style restaurant in Ireland. He was one of the chefs that came out here for Tasting Australia. And people, yeah, I, I do ship overseas. People find me through Instagram and, and buy via my website. So, yeah, I ship a few out. Um, there's a, there's a ch- wine and cheese shop in in the US that stocks them. So, yeah, not a lot overseas. It's mainly domestic. But, yeah, a little bit goes Overseas. So, for those that are listening, talk through the sort of the general process of how the the knife gets made from you know concept through to completion. Most of them are made from recycled materials. So the cheese knives. So both in this in the handle as well as in the blade. Yeah. Yeah. So the cheese knives I make out of old files and rasps. So. I guess the process there is you have to anneal them first, which is getting them red hot, letting them cool down really slowly in the forge, and that makes the steel softer. And then you can shape it and grind it and drill it, and then you have to harden it again. So heat it up red hot, quench it in oil. And so this isn't all done in one sitting, though, is it? Is it? This no. is over a period of time. So no. you're I softening mean, the steel up to start with. To yeah, make that's it kind of that's usually. You know, throw them all in the forge, yep. get them red hot, let them sit there for half an hour and then let it cool down overnight. Yep. The next day, shape and grind them, heat treat them so you harden them, then you have to anneal them for two hours in the oven, which makes, you know, oh, sorry, not anneal them, temper them. That takes some of the hardness out but takes a lot of the brittleness out. Yeah. And that's about a two-hour process in the oven. Next step is putting the handles on. I use epoxy glue and pins to keep it on there. And where does the timber come from the, for the handle? Oh, wherever. Yep. Um, there's old floorboards. Okay. I get scraps from furniture makers. I, there was a tree that fell down at my sister's house that I cut up for firewood um, before I started making knives. And well, I was cutting it to stick in the pot belly and I realised how beautiful this timber <laughs> was. So uh, although it burns really well, that's been a source of a lot of knife handles. Yep. I get stuff from Kangaroo Island. People send me bits of timber from around the country. Wow. You make so, this into my knife for me. Yeah. Yeah, wow. That's yeah. amazing. And it's, yeah, and it's good. It's, it's fun. You know, I've had one of the more interesting builds was a, a guy that brought me a couple of files that were his grandfather's and a pool cue. Okay. And the pool cue was warped, so it couldn't be used as a, as a pool cue, but we managed to turn it into some knife handles. So it's, it's, you know, it's whatever you can find. Now, you're doing this full time now, aren't you? Yeah. You ditched the vet thing? Yeah, pretty much. I was doing vet four days a week, knife making three days a week. The knife making got to a point where I couldn't keep up, so I quit the vet, and then I was doing knife making five, six days a week and vetting one day a week. When coronavirus came along, I decided I didn't really want to be in the vet clinic doing that if I didn't have to be there. And so I I do the occasional day for them, maybe one day every two months. Yeah, okay. Just, you know, it's nice to get out of the shed every now and then and um, keep my hand in. So coronavirus has helped you make that transition rather than... Because often what happens is when you've got a career, it's a big jump to jump out of that career that you know so well and then move into your new gig. Yeah. But that's not been your experience, has it? Um, It was a bit scary. Was it? Yeah. And there was a bit of planning involved. I needed a... You know, I was basically working two jobs. You know, I was was vetting four days a week, knife making three days a week. Um, for for over a year doing that and just saving as much as I could. I was due for pro rata long service leave, so that was a nice little buffer. I'll bet. And I I knew I could go back one or two days a week if I needed to, um, which I did. I went back one day a week. And I guess I still have that as a safety net. 
If I need to, I can go back and become a full-time vet. Um, I don't particularly want to, but I can if I have to. Do you see that happening in your future? I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) No, I much prefer making knives. Uh, You know, vet can be a rewarding career, and some people absolutely love it, and it's their passion, and it's what drives them. I was at a point where I needed to find something else. After 25 years, I'd had enough. Mm. And, you know, there are bits of it that I still love, but I'm happy doing 50, 60 hours a week in my shed making knives. So what does the future hold for Dog Boy Knives? Hopefully a few days off. <laughs> um, it's not if you're working 50 or 60 hours a week, it's not no, going to happen. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, I, I've got this ridiculous concept of building a stockpile so that I'm not under constant pressure to make knives. And I'm just trying to work out how to do that. I, I've stopped doing commission work at the moment. I'm not making steak knives and filleting knives and I'm just concentrating on chef knives and cheese knives and, you know, I'm, I'm working towards this stockpile so that November, which is my traditionally crazy, busy month in sales, you know, hopefully I can have enough stock so that I'm not under massive extreme pressure, massive yeah. pressure in, in November and December leading up to Christmas. So um, that's the so that's the push, is it? Is people buying them as presents, et cetera, for yeah. the Christmas period? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, I sell a lot wholesale to cheese shops around the country and, you know, they're always ordering more pre-Christmas. And, yeah. Is that the rain? That's the rain. <laughs> it's a very thin roof. <laughs> If you're a founder of a business, a CEO or a senior manager, it's easy to think that you need to work out all of your business and leadership challenges yourself. But just because the buck stops with you doesn't mean you will have all the answers and it can be pretty lonely at the top. Great leaders will have an executive coach in their corner whose role is to challenge you, guide you and support you in a non-biased way that friends and colleagues just can't. Contact us at The Selfmade Theory and let us show you how qualified executive coaching and mentoring can help you innovate, overcome and prosper. So when we talk about quality of knives, you know, the very top end of the of the chain in terms of the chef knives, mm. they're not immaterial in value, are they? No. I, I think this isn't this isn't your hundred dollar knife that you go and buy in your, your local store. No, it's not. It's um well, it's carbon steel for a start. So most knives you buy in the shops, most of them are stainless steel. And stainless steel has its advantages in that it doesn't rust and you can just throw it in the sink and, and mistreat it. Carbon steel takes a bit more effort to look after because it can rust and it can tarnish, but you can get it sharper than a stainless steel knife. Yeah. And I that's, you know, that's pretty important. Yeah. And that's why chefs use them. Yeah, pretty mm. much. And, you know, there's various grades of carbon steel. Some, some's harder than others. But it's, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think they're nicer. They've got a bit more personality as well. And I think that's why people like them because they look a bit different. They do look different. They're not very boring. I mean, some knives you look at them and they're just going, yeah. Yeah. These you look at them and go, wow, there's, there's some effort in there. That's yeah. really unique. And, and I think people appreciate that effort and they enjoy using them more. I know that sounds crazy, but they, they, you know, I get a lot of emails from people thanking me and you know giving me positive feedback which from my understanding is pretty unusual did that surprise you when that happened it, every time it surprises every me. time yeah and it really makes my day i get an email someone thanking me for the knife that i've sent them and and telling me how much they love using it and it's really nice 
I always have a certain degree of self-doubt. You know, if the phone rings and someone says, oh, I bought a knife off you a few months ago, my, my automatic reaction is to go, <laughs> what's wrong? You know, how am I going to fix this? And some of the, you know, most of the time it's, oh, it's fantastic. We want to get some more. And, and that, that's really, I think, unusual, but I love it. It's, it. It gives me a warm feeling and it means uh, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing something right. And, and what I'm making is, is, you know, people are enjoying it and that's brilliant. I mean, it validates a whole bunch of things, doesn't it? It validates your decision to quit the vet life and follow this full time. It validates the quality of your workmanship mm. while you're doing it in the first place. Yeah, it, it does. And, you know, being self-taught, you know, you always wonder if you're doing a good job because you don't have someone telling you either way. Yeah, there's no grand mentor or master who's come before you who's no. taught you all their skills. And I must admit, uh, you know, Barry Gardner's been really good. Um, he invited me up to his studio and um, said, bring some knives. And this was when I was, you know, been maybe making for a year. And so who's Barry Gardner? He's, he's a knife maker in Sepplesfield. So he's been making knives for... 26 years, something yep. like that. And it was one of his knives that I saw that inspired me to go down this path. And so he invited me up to his workshop, gave me a bunch of old sawmill blades and, and gave me some of his time and just went, okay, you're doing this right, you're doing this wrong, you should do this instead of this, um, you can do this a bit better. So, you know, two hours spent with Barry and my knife making improved significantly because I had you know, a short period with someone who knew what they were doing. Now, people listening will probably say, well, that's a bit weird because you're sort of competitors, right? He's a knife maker, you're a knife maker. Oh, yeah. You're both here in Adelaide. Why Why would somebody give you their time to show you how to do a good job? I don't know. I've been asking myself that <laughs> ever since because he's been nothing but, you know, supporting. And my experience with meeting other creative people at markets is that it's quite an inclusive community and people are willing to help others and and with within the knife making community as well i mean i think yes there there are you know there is a bit of an old boys club in parts of the community but a lot of the knife makers i've met have been helpful and we're all giving each other tips yeah. and you know there is a nice community in south australia's you know there's a lot of amateur knife makers out there but even those of us doing it full time we're supportive of each other yeah well i try to be and and i've had support from others so yeah it's surprisingly not competitive which is good yeah it is good and do you see your business going forward as just Richard Cooper um, or is there a time in the future where you might need to hire people I, I think uh, there will be a point where I'm going to have to that's going to be difficult because I'm going to be handing over some of the creative process and they're going to have to meet my standards at the moment, most of my work is done in my shed, which is not an occupational health and friendly zone. Um, <laughs> You've got another workshop too just down the road, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, so I do all the hammering at a friend's workshop down the road because it's kind of noisy. Yeah. And I do most of the most of the other stuff in, in my shed. But it's, it's a disaster zone in there and I know all the hazards, but there's not room for two people. So I'd have to have a new premises. Yeah, maybe one day. We'll see. Handing over the creative process is a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah. It's, I mean, you can hand over a bunch of other things. You can hand over your bookwork to somebody. You can yeah. hand over your marketing and these other things that don't tie into, you know, the actual reason you get out of bed. Yes, that is that's true. And I, and I must admit, I listened to a podcast with a, a, another knife maker, um, a guy in, in Victoria, and it was really interesting listening to him because he's he, he said, 
he can't do everything. Uh, and at the moment, I do everything. I, which is why you're working sixty hours a week. Which is why I'm working. Yeah, it's not all in the shed. It's working on the website, answering emails, doing my tax, doing annoying podcasts with oh, yeah. you know, Ben Campbell. That that, that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's sort of work. It's work related because there's working on the business and working in the business. Mm. And you you know you need to do both. And and so listening to this other guy, he's he's like, well, I get someone else to do my photography. I get someone else to stabilise my timber. He has to outsource because he can't do everything. So that might be my first step is outsourcing some bits. But again, you know, it's finding the time to outsource it. Yeah. Well, the other part of, about outsourcing, you know, the bookwork or the marketing, etc., is you know, while you're going to pay money for that to happen, they're going to be better than you at it. They're going to be doing it faster. Mm. And so while you can create more knives and reach more people, yeah, they can be doing all of the other things that really don't add any value to the knife-making piece. No. Mm. But, again, it's finding the right people and it's, um, and it's you know, it's, it's finding the right people, it's finding the money to pay them as well. My hourly rate is a lot cheaper than theirs. <laughs> <laughs> right, there's something wrong there. We might, to, we might have to talk about that one offline. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no! When I say my hourly rate, you know, I I I don't want to look at my hourly rate. Um, it's yeah, you know, you're doing a lot of hours, and and not all of that's creating a knife. Some of it's doing all the admin stuff. Yeah, but it's all for you know, it's all with a a, a purpose and a goal. Hmm. So, have you got anything in terms of product creation that you haven't done yet that you want to do? Yeah, there's a few things up my sleeve. I keep getting asked about oyster knives, okay. oyster shucking knives, and I don't really want to do it, but I'm going to because there's probably a market there. So why don't you want to do it, and why do you think you should? I think I should because I've been asked to by multiple people, and it's you know there's not many people out there doing them. I guess you make what you know, yeah, and you make what you like, and I don't like oysters, um, <laughs> so. <laughs> I, um, I don't like oysters, so I've never shucked an oyster in my life. I've never even held an oyster shucking knife. So there's that, I guess there's that fear of, well, not fear, that I don't know what makes a good oyster shucking knife. So I'm going to have to research that because I don't want to make a dodgy one. It's, you know, it's got to be one that works. So I've got a chef who's a mate who's going to come and we're going to sit down and So an inside, uh, inside, an end user really? Yeah. Who will give you the insight into what makes a good oyster knife? Yeah, he's a, he's a young Adelaide chef. He's He's got um, six of my knives, I think, and he wants to, an oyster shucking knife. So I was like, okay, you come and help me design it. So we might make a couple and then he's got some events coming up where he'll be do, you know shucking dozens of oysters so yep. he can put them to the test. Yeah, it's good market research. Yeah. That's how you build great products. Yeah, and as I said, I don't know what – I have no idea what makes a good shucking knife, so that's why I need to – Outsource some design there. Yeah. So where can people find your knives? If they want to buy a Richard Cooper Dogboy knife, yep. where are they looking? Online. I've got a website, dogboyknives.com. So they can buy online. I do a few markets. There's one here in Brompton at Plant 4 last Sunday of every month till Christmas. Yep. I'll be at Bowerbird Markets this year, which mm-hmm. is the Wavell Showgrounds. That's um, a pretty big market, that one. Yeah, it's mm. great. And that's really good exposure. Markets are about, you know, they're about selling knives, but they're also about marketing, you know, meeting people, getting the brand out there. Um, and that's really important because you might not sell a knife to them that day, but, you know, you hand out business cards and you put it in their mind that, hey, it's a great present for a wedding or an engagement. Have a think about it. 
you can get them online. There's also stockists around the country, lots of cheese shops and some gift shops here in Adelaide. So there's a full list of stockists on my website. website. Yeah, so, good. I will include, we'll include the link on the website cool. so that people can find you. Yeah. That's mainly the, just the cheese knives. Yeah. Chef's knives, I just struggle to make enough so I don't wholesale them. They're just available through me. Yeah, directly on the website. Perfect. And of course, people can follow you on Instagram, yep. Facebook as well, or just Instagram? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Yep. Yeah, Instagram's my main selling tool there. It's marketing tool. It's been, that's one of the cornerstones of building my business has been Instagram. And it's quite incredible if you use it. And I probably don't use it as well as I could, but it is a powerful selling tool. Mm. Well, particularly when you're looking for things of beauty. I mean, that was part of Instagram's original mm. thing was to share great photos of beautiful places and things. Yeah. And your work is one of great beauty, so it's a perfect match. Thank you. Yeah, I'm trying my hardest. <laughs> well, mate, thank you so much for sharing your story. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Well, there you have it. A great story about having the courage to leave your safe, predictable job for something that you are really passionate about and good at. If you want to find out more about Dog Boy Knives, then head over to our website, theselfmadetheory.com forward slash podcast, where we have some very cool photos, plus all the ways you can engage with Richard. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming and prospering.